In light of the current economic climate, we recognise that business requirements may be affected and steps may need to be taken to reduce employee levels to reflect the loss of business. Layoffs and short-time working are frequently used by employers as a useful way of handling temporary work shortages and adverse trading conditions without having to resort to redundancy. The law relating to layoffs and short-time working is governed by the Employment Rights Act 1996. Firstly, we look at layoff. An employee is laid off during a particular week if the employer does not provide the employee with any work for that week because there is a decrease in the requirements of the employer's business for work of that kind that the employee is employed to do and therefore, uh, as a result, uh, the, the employee is not paid. Short-time working. An employee is considered to be on short-time working for a week where the employee works for some of the week for proportionately less pay, by which is meant less than a half week's pay, and is laid off for the remainder of the week. The reason for the short-time working is by reason of a reduction in the work provided to the employee by the employer, being work of a kind which under the contract of the employment, the employee is employed to do. Implementing layoffs and short-time working. The employer needs to start by checking the employee's contract of employment to establish if it contains an express contractual right for the employer to impose a layoff or short-time working with no pay for time not worked. If the contract does contain such an express term, it's binding on the employee and the employer can simply impose a layoff or short-term working. Note, the employer should always have regard to the implied term of mutual trust and confidence that exists beyond, between the employer and the employee in the context of layoffs and short-term working. If there's no express contractual right and where the employer lays off the employee or requires the employee to do short-time working, that would be a fundamental breach of contract with the consequence of entitling the employee to resign and claim constructive or unfair dismissal. If the reason for the dismissal is redundancy, the employee may also claim a redundancy payment. It may be possible to imply a term into the contract where imposing layoffs or short-time working uh, has been the clear and certain custom and practice of the employer. It must be stressed, however, that there's an element of risk in relying on implied terms of this nature should the employee seek to challenge it. The risk lies with the employee claiming a fundamental breach of contract by the employer. If the particular employee has been employed for longer than two years, then they could make a claim against the employer for claiming fundamental claiming fundamental breach of contract. As an alternative to resigning and claiming constructive or unfair dismissal, an employee who has been laid off or put on short time working in breach of contract may choose to remain employed but can proceed to claim any shortfall in pay under the unauthorised deduction of wages provisions contained within part two of the Employment Rights Act 1996. This would be the usual remedy for short-serving employees who do not have the requisite length of qualifying service to claim unfair constructive dismissal. Another option for the employee 
would be to sue the employer for damages for breach of contract. Where there's no contractual right to lay an employee off, the express uh, informed consent of the employee will be needed by the employer. The employer needs to make the employee fully aware of what the employee is being asked to consent to. That is, how many weeks of layoff or short time working are likely to ensue and what this means with regard to the employee's pay. The employer should then ask the employee to give his or her consent in writing for the avoidance of doubt. That written consent can usefully be obtained by way of a letter to the employee explaining the implications of the proposed layoff or short time working and asking the employee to sign and return a copy of the letter signifying the employee's agreement. The layoff or short time working should be kept under continual review and further consent may need to be obtained at a later date if the layoff or the short time working lasts longer than originally envisaged. Employers should note that even where there is a contractual right to lay off an employee, it's arguable that there may also be an implied contractual term that any layoff will be for a reasonable period of time and not indefinite. The decided case of Langford v. D.E. Ware, trading as Georgian Design Associates, which is an employment tribunal case number 39477 of 1995, found that an employer who was contractually entitled to lay off employees could only do so for a period not exceeding four weeks. Statutory guarantee payments. Most employees are entitled to a statutory guarantee payment for any complete day of layoff. This is known as a workless day. Guarantee payments are normally limited to a maximum of five days payment in a three month period. If the employee is normally contractually required to work the less than five days a week, i.e. a part-time employee, the entitlement cannot exceed the number of days that the employee is required to work under their contract of employment. The employer is obliged to pay the guarantee payment under statute. The amount per day of a guarantee payment is based on the employee's normal daily rate of pay. There's a statutory maximum which changes on the 1st of February each year in line with the retail price index. The current maximum guarantee payment is £30 per day. Any salary that an employer pays under the contract of employment in respect of a workless day can be offset against the employer's liability to make statutory guarantee payments. Employers should note that if they provide work, although not the usual amount of work during a particular day, then that day is not considered a workless day and therefore no guarantee payment is due. This is the case even if the work is provided outside normal working hours. Thus, one way to implement short time working is to have the employees working all their usual working days, but only for part of each of those days. That way, they will be paid for the hours they work but guarantee payments will not be payable. There are certain employees who are not entitled to guarantee payments, and these are, firstly, those who have worked for the employer for less than a month, ending the day before the workless day. Secondly, those who unreasonably refuse an offer of suitable alternative employment for the workless day. Thirdly, 
those who fail to comply with the employer's reasonable requirements to be available for work. And lastly, those who are not provided to work because of a strike, lockout or other industrial action. If an employer dismisses an employee for seeking to enforce their statutory right to a guaranteed payment, that dismissal will be automatically unfair regardless of the employee's length of service. Redundancy payment for layoffs and short-time working. The statutory scheme enabling an employer to claim a redundancy payment where he or she has been laid off or put on short-time working is complicated. In order for the scheme to trigger, note the following. Firstly, the employee must have been laid off or kept on short-time working either for four consecutive weeks or for a total of six weeks, of which no more than three being consecutive in any period of 13 weeks. Secondly, the employee must give the employer a written notice of their intention to claim a redundancy payment in respect of their layoff or short time working. The notice does not need to be in a specific format as long as it indicates the employee's intention to claim a redundancy payment. This notice must be given within four weeks of the last of the weeks of layoff or short time working. Next, employers are able to contest liability to make a statutory redundancy payment if they do not wish to make, meet the claim. In this case, the employer must serve a written counter notice and do so within seven days of service of the employee's notice of intention to claim. As a minimum, that notice should state that the employer intends to contest liability for a redundancy payment. It does not have to set out the grounds on which a redundancy payment is opposed. Next, in order for the employer's counter notice to be upheld by an employment tribunal, the employer must be able to show that at the date of service of the notice of intention claim, the employer reasonably expected to be able to provide a period of at least 13 weeks continuous employment, that is, without further resort to layoffs or short time working, to begin within the next four weeks. Where an employer has served a valid counter notice, the employee then must apply to an employment tribunal to decide the matter. Lastly, the employee must terminate their contract of employment by giving the employer the contractual period of notice or one week's notice, whichever is the greater. This notice of termination of employment must be given within three weeks of the employer's failure to give or withdrawal of a counter notice or if the case has been contested within three weeks of the employee being notified of the employment tribunal's decision. The notice to terminate the employer's contract of employment need not be in writing. We hope you found the content of this blog interesting and informative. There are other blogs and other employment related topics on our website www.morganlaroche.com.